Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond. I am a church planner candidate with Mile One Mission. Right next to me, we have... David Drover, and I'm an intern at Mile One Mission. I'm Steve Daw. I'm the director of education for Mile One Mission. I'm Matt Leahy. I'm a church planter with Mile One Mission. Are you sure about that? I'm positive. <laughs> as sure as I am saved in Christ. All right, guys. So it seems like a lot of people enjoyed our blooper episode. Yeah, it seems. Uh, I guess that's the most listenership we've ever had. I think so on one episode. Yeah, it really, it yeah. really, it really shot up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why. And now we're going to create more bloopers. <laughs> so that was fun. But uh, so welcome back. So we're actually getting back into the swing of things now in the new year. We had that fun little episode. Um, so how are you guys feeling about doing this for the rest of the year? I'm totally stoked, actually. But. Yeah, I like the lineup of uh, topics we have. Yeah, like Adam, you've yeah, you've given us some good topics in the in Thanks, the coming weeks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to getting into it. So, just as a tidbit, like we're going to get into each of our stories, um, how we grew up, where we came from, how we got to the point here at Mile One Mission. Uh, we're going to talk on women in church planting. We're going to talk about complementarianism. We're going to talk about a worship a theology of worship. we got all kinds of episodes for this year. I'm really excited about it. But today, today we're going to talk about a very, you know, sometimes controversial topic, altar calls. So altar calls, guys. So what do we mean? Before we get started, some people might not even know what an altar call is. It's possible. What do we mean when we say altar calls? Like, what exactly are we talking about? Well, I, I think there's going to be a colloquial meaning of it, and then there's going to be what I think we, we're going to mean by it. I think colloquially speaking, an altar call is when a preacher, uh, during, before, or after a sermon, decides that they want the congregation to respond by coming forward mm-hmm. to the front of the room uh usually a place uh, focused on an altar. It's very popular in more evangelical Baptist and, and charismatic circles. Um, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't grow up in a church with altar calls, so this is just what I understand it to be. Okay, very very quick first follow-up question. What's colloquial? Yes. I can't even say it. Colloquial. <laughs> colloquial. colloquial. Uh, of the general location, so what general people will say it means. There like, we go, folks. <laughs> so what's, what's the second one you were going to say? Well, then there's the question of what theologically we'd mean by an altar call. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, since it is actually a practice of a church, uh, of the church or of a large sect of the church, there are reasons that people have behind it. And I think the reason is uh, it's, it's a clear physical um, response of some kind to a gospel presentation. That's mm-hmm. that that I think is the idea that people are are looking for a clear and a present uh, response to it. So, uh, Steve, you said that you never grew up with altar calls, but how about uh, Matt or Dave? Have you guys ever experienced an altar call in a church setting? In a church setting, I'm actually not sure if I have as well, mm-hmm. but in like a Christian concert slash like event. Okay. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, the, the, the preacher will kind of, you know, end off his message and say like, now if any of you are feeling led to come up and, um, you know, 
get saved or whatever language it is or yep. want to say the prayer to accept Jesus into your heart, then, you know, come up and I'll pray with you and then we'll, we'll get in, got it. We'll get more into that later. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Did you experience altar calls? Yeah, I, I've seen altar calls uh, happen, you know, not to the grand scale of, you know, concerts or revival tent meetings kind of thing, but in, in lower scale, kind of like what Dave was talking about, you know, people might come up and pray over, uh, you know, people who are wanting to make a profession of faith. But I've seen calls of other sorts, not necessarily professions of faith, but um, commitment to living out your faith in, mm-hmm. in other ways. And so, yeah, yes and no. Okay, okay. Yeah, now I, I, I didn't say that I have never seen one. I actually experienced bunches of them. Uh, back when uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association sent a speaker to St. John's, Newfoundland, I was uh, part of the team that was working with it, and I worked on the statistics department for the crusade. And so that, and uh, if anyone knows, a Billy Graham crusade almost always ends with an altar call. Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many verses of just as I am playing in the background. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I, I should have clarified that, uh, you know, have you experienced one? rather than just growing up with one. All right, so uh, let's just break it down. An altar call can either be a call at the point uh, to, at a certain point to make a decision right there and then mm-hmm. to uh, place your faith in Jesus Christ, or it can be used as well as a response to a message. Right. So uh, with that said, um, let's talk about the history of altar calls. Where did altar calls come from? Like at what point did the church really seem to start doing altar calls? Was it nineteenth century? It would have been. It would yeah. have been uh, mostly Second Great Awakening. Um, yeah, uh, the most famous, uh, uh, I guess, practitioner of the altar call would have been Charles Finney, Charles Grandison mm. Finney, um, American evangelist, and uh, if anybody wants to know my opinion, a uh, arch heretic. And but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so does that mean that altar me, calls are heresy? No, tell me how you really no, feel. <laughs> no, and I mean the the reason I say that is actually based in his theology of the altar call, mm-hmm. because his viewpoint was that uh, revival could be created, that we as as uh, evangelical Christians could create the conditions for a revival, and if we do it right, mm-hmm. revivals will happen. And part of that came into the fact that he believed that if a sinful person um, made an assent to the gospel message, uh, a mental assent, not necessarily a conversion of the heart, Mm. not a change in affections, but merely a mental assent to it, God would, reacting to that, Mm -hmm. uh, act to save that individual. Basically, if somebody had some sort of profession, God was obligated then that he had to save them. Yes, yes. As if... And, of course, it didn't matter where the person's heart was. It just mattered that they had made some kind of ascent mm-hmm. towards it. I mean, yeah. if, if that's the case, that's a whole lot of... There's a whole lot of issue with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so, basically, you're saying that God is responsible to act to your whims. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been that would have been Finney's position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, obviously, we don't believe God is like that. No, no. And, of course, there is... There are some implications for that mm-hmm. for practice. Absolutely. So, like, for example, if I believe honestly that getting people to make a decision is the main reason why I would do an altar call, mm-hmm. or and, and, and that, so just, that, that could be, you know, budgetary or simply we have metrics we need to 
adhere exactly. to, right? Exactly. Yeah. But if you, but I mean, to be even if you're going to be kind about it, and you want people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and you honestly believe that uh, ramping up somebody's emotions or using psychological manipulation techniques to get them to do a certain thing, and let's be honest, we've we've seen all of the things that can happen. There mm-hmm. are all sorts of different ways if you've studied any psychology that you can get people to do certain, get certain reactions out of them over time. Uh, I mean, I think there's a couple of YouTube channels of people showing off interesting psychological tricks you can get people to do things for. Well, let's, let's take a uh, very quickly. Um, there was a, <laughs> let's take Kenneth Copeland very quickly. Okay. There's a scene very quickly where uh, he was, it was, had to do with the presidency and he found it funny that they were saying that Trump had lost. Trump was not going to be elected. And in this clip, he's very blatantly forcing a laugh. And it's, it's very creepy, but it's also very weird because he's just laughing. And then all the other people slowly started joining in. Yep. And then, but then there's like this weird, almost Awkward. half genuine, half not laughter throughout the whole place. Mm. And yeah. it's him convincing that they're laughing or quote unquote laughing in the spirit or something or that you know, it's laughable, but it's it's this psychological well, thing where if your leader is laughing, well, I w- w- and, we'll laugh too. And but you see that on on like I watched another video a couple of years ago where uh, these group of people just hopped on a train in New York City and they just started laughing, and then slowly and surely everyone in the train car started laughing, and it was great. It was great yeah. to see, but it was genuine. Anyway, <laughs> and of course, th- there are other things. There are more dangerous things that can happen mm-hmm. if you repeat. For example, if you force a bunch of people to repeat a lie over and over and over again, eventually they'll come to believe it yep. is true. Yeah, and, well, that's kind of the danger because if you have that theology, that's you know not good theology, um, and it, you kind of practically play it through as Steve was talking about. Basically, what it boils down to is you think that. By getting people to make a decision, that'll save them, yep. and they'll get to heaven. So, if you want people to get to heaven, then you're going to do everything in your possible power to manipulate a person mm-hmm. to make a decision yep. to then, so that they can get to heaven. And you don't care what you have to do as long as you get them to do that. Right. Right. And well, I mean, because then, like, so just going off what Dave said, the responsibility is then upon the the preacher or the speaker or the person delivering the message to save souls instead of God doing what God does best. And what's really dangerous about that is then people will come and they'll think that they're saved and going to heaven, but then they die and they go to hell. Right. Well, and I mean, even in the, in, in this lifetime too, I mean, there are going to be people who at the time they're going to feel very, because usually it's uh, one of the easiest ways to manipulate people is to ramp up emotions a great deal mm-hmm. because you're more willing to do anything impetuous if your emotions are in agreement with it. Yeah. Yep. And if so it you feels good. Do it. And right. honestly, our society is designed that way. So pretty much everybody's yeah. going to do that anyway. But if you're doing that, and I, I ramp up your emotions at a concert or really good music, you know, I throw up the baseline all the way up and you make that kind of a decision and afterwards, you know, you you're home and you're not near the the the, the thumping bass and you're not near the you know attractive people telling you all of the things that you want to hear, mm. and you then realize, wait a second, I I I, I feel kind of manipulated and used, and then you react negatively to that mm-hmm. because you should. You were manipulated and used. Yeah. 
yeah, there's a there's an article here from TGC uh, on the brief history of altar calls, and it gives a quote here from a uh, anti revival revivalist tract uh, called the Anxious Bench from 1843, and it's written by uh, John Williamson Nevin. Uh, so basically, he, he talks about what we mentioned before, Finney's anxious bench, how he would get people to make that decision right there. And then um, he goes on to say, an anxious bench may be crowded with no divine influence, whatever it's felt. Hundreds may be carried through the process of anxious bench conversion, and yet their last state may be worse than the first. Yep. So it goes along with what we're saying, basically, like, just because you get them to make a decision now, now they might now they think they're good in God's eyes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's actually worse because it's not a true conversion. There was no change of heart. There was no change of affection towards God from your yep. sin. Uh, it was just a conscious decision to say, "Okay, this sounds great," and if all I have to do is say yes, yeah, why not mm-hmm. say yes? And of course, it's not just that side that would be problematic. Mm-hmm. It's you're also going to end up with a lot of I think possibly a lot of the anti-theists we run into these days may actually be results of this as well. I mean they because they associate the gospel of Jesus Christ with manipulation. Yeah. Now now something I should I do want to throw in there in case somebody's listening and you know they went to an altar call um, and that's you know how they became a Christian mm-hmm. and were converted. What we're not saying is that nobody has ever been converted at an altar call. That's a great Um, point, Dave. So, you know, we're not saying this, but there have been genuine conversions through altar calls. Um, I I would say that there there would be a... uh, There are functional people who are converted, and the method used is an altar call. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, my... The day home we used uh, before we recently took Raylan out, uh, Jessica's experience home on mat leave, but... uh, she was she had watched the american gospel right and she was just like wow like it blew her mind but in a good way and she's like i came to faith watching kenneth copeland yeah mm-hmm. but then she she was actually, she wasn't just influenced by kenneth copeland she was influenced by other churches around her and exactly. pastors and her faith was ge- proved to be genuine as she produced fruit in herself so it's not that god can't use these things i'm not saying no everyone that follows kenneth copeland is saved but she's a special case who she actually heard about Jesus, placed her faith, but also followed up with local churches with good sound theology, good sound teaching, and that enabled her to grow, and it showed that her faith was genuine because the fruit was produced in her life. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you can't be saved at an altar call, but that faith needs to prove itself and to be genuine, and there needs to be fruit in the believer's yeah. life. Yeah, and I think we talked more about this in our salvation episode mm-hmm. way back, I think in episode two or three or four or right. something like that. Though I I would also then, th- on the other side, mm-hmm. uh, part of my, my trepidation here is that the kind of altar call that we're talking about here from the phineistic kind of perspective, I think is a damaging kind of thing to yes, use. Absolutely. Um, it is... It is actually... And, and I mean, this isn't to say that... And we'll talk about this later, but when we talk about altar calls, it doesn't mean that all altar calls are necessarily bad. It just means there are a lot of things that you need to be careful about when you're doing them. So, yep. I mean, if you maybe, maybe this would be maybe a good way to kind of sum it up. On something that is so important in terms, you know, the situation of a soul going to heaven or hell, you know, the relationship that somebody can have a real relationship with Christ and with God as Father versus, you know, not. We don't want to shoot for something that works 
only a part of the time maybe and that is often actually a lot more damaging than genuine so when we're talking about altar calls in this kind of sense you know it's not really good enough to say well god can use them um but most of the time it actually makes people believe that they're saved when they're not but we should just keep doing them that's like that's not like with this what's at stake yeah you know ultimately now of course i'm also going to say that i i'm not saying that altar calls per se are bad i'm just saying that one segment yes mm. one way of doing them the way we're talking about them right now right. this if, if if we're talking about you know the 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 ramp up the the emotionalism and try to get a a response right now to get, make sure you get your metrics or your finances or whatever yeah chances are good that's a bad idea but yeah. let me just throw a curveball right so we've been railing against the emotionalism and the subsequent decisionism that happens in this particular type of and, and fake emotions, right? Manipulated right. emotions. And so the thing that you know we haven't touched on, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, is that God does create us as emotional mm-hmm. beings. Mm-hmm. We 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 fear, we love, we are full of joy. We're f- you know, and the whole broad range of emotions can come into play. And so we're actually commanded to have emotions. No, absolutely, absolutely. And so it's it shouldn't be. Uh, uh, a surprise if people at these, you know, revival uh, meetings or tent meetings or whatever, are uh, feeling emotional in in these in these moments, and then do actually make a legit profession of faith, right? And my mind goes to uh, Acts two. Now, I'm not promoting Acts two as the go-to text for altar calls, because you know, in my opinion, there is no biblical support for altar calls. But when you see Peter preaching to uh, to his brothers and sisters. Um, you know, he goes on, he basically lays out the gospel for them. And no doubt they do have an emotional reaction to what Peter is saying. But what Peter doesn't say, he says, if you want to accept, you know, Christ into your heart, if you want to make a profession, they say, brother, what should we do? Mm-hmm. And what does he say? Well, Re- actually, repent, let's, we, right? we could go at the a, a little bit earlier that, and so I'll just start reading it to 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm. And now that that that's not actually an altar call, and that's just nope. him giving a mm-hmm. giving the straight out thing. And then now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it says how many were saved? Uh, Skipping down a little bit. uh, Yeah, so those received the word were baptized and added to that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, that's, that's, but that shows that it's not just, no one was, no one had a synth keyboard going in the background (laughs) after, after man, John James probably were there, man, like, (laughs) laying it down. Totally, but, but no, honestly. So, like, we can have a response. So that's the second type that we we mentioned yeah. earlier. We can have a response to a message, mm-hmm. which is fine. And it's fine how you're gonna you're gonna have people who are genuinely gonna cry at the fact of what Christ accomplished for them. And I mean, that's that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I mean, who who was the preacher over in England? Um, where he preached the message, and it was the most monotone. Uh, wasn't actually in England. It was uh, oh, the it the, was. Clo- the story is about Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. That's right. Where you know, as he was preaching, there were there's actually nail marks in in the pews yeah. for people hearing this. Like mm-hmm. that's an emotional response to 
to the gospel, right? Well, I mean, if you read uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which is That's it, yeah. the standard uh, mm-hmm. sermon, it, mm-hmm. it is pretty harrowing, emotional yeah. stuff. And I think that, because Matt, you do bring up a really good point, because it can be easy for us to to either go on the side of, like, you know, everything is way too emotional versus there's not enough emotion. Mm. And I think the key thing is is kind of what Steve said as well. Well, what's fake emotion or manipulated emotion versus real emotion? And what I think a lot of it comes down to is, is the emotion, like, is the emotion that you have toward the gospel message, you know, is the emotion that you have based on the fact that we're sinners in need of saving and that Jesus loved us enough to come and save us? Or is, you know, are you emotional because this is the 17th time you saying just as I am? Right. And, and, you know, or are you emotional because, you know, you're seeing so many other people run up to the front. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it's again, it's, it's that there's a real emotional response that we should have to a real gospel message like these brothers and, yeah. and sisters in Acts 2. Right. Like they were cut to the heart based on hearing the gospel. And actually, it's interesting because uh, we mentioned Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards also is famous for having written the the treatise on revival, mm-hmm. which basically says a lot of these things we're talking about here, which is really interesting because he wrote it in the 18th century. Yep. Yeah, and but uh, there's even there other speakers, famous ones, who use a response to a message like we're talking about. Uh, we have you know uh, Dwight Moody and Billy Sunday who had invitations to the front, but in response to a message. Yeah. In response to, I mean, yes, it would be great if you made a decision right now for Christ, but it's a response. It's, it's more of a response to the message that's preached. Right. Like, will you respond now to the gospel that's been preached now? Yeah. Whether right. whether we play music or not, but will you respond to the message, not the music, not the words of a song, mm-hmm. right. not to your friends going up before you? Will you respond to what Christ is working in your heart and, right now. And also, what is the re- what is the response that people are calling being called to? Right. So at altar calls often the response is are you going to come and dedicate your life or are you going to come and pray a prayer or are you going to come and accept Jesus? Whereas what does Peter say? Repent what and be do baptized. We do? Repent and be baptized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And when he says repent, he's not just talking about praying a prayer. Yeah. He's talking about do you know, completely turning away from yep. your ways of sin and turning to Christ. But there's another element that we we're, we're not hitting on. And I, I just I'm going to bring it up as well. So when it comes to altar calls, right? There's a difference between what happens in these tent meetings where it's all emotionally driven, and then what happens after the call is made. So more often than not, when you see in these tent meetings, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people come up and make that profession of faith and then they go off on their own. That's it. There, there's, there's no accountability. There's no further discipleship. Uh, and so I, I inherently don't have a problem with altar calls so long as there is follow-up and discipleship performed with the person after the fact. And, of course, this is best done in, in the local church, right? Well, and I mean, that's—again, uh, I'm not really sure about my quest- the question being there, just altar calls. I think 
it's important for any decision that someone makes, if somebody says they're going to be following Christ, for them to then become part of a church. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. To yeah. follow through and to be discipled. To I mean, I mean again, the, as, as was pointed out, the command is to repent and be baptized, not to, um, I don't know, make the decision. If the decision is the first step in being repenting and baptized, then, well, you've got some repenting to Praise do. Praise the afterward. Lord. Praise yeah. God, but there's yeah. more to it than that. That's right. So, yeah, as long as the decision is backed up with something else, yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah, I grew up um, in a Pentecostal church, so altar calls are very common, very, very common. And there were some that were emotional, uh, some that were called to salvation. Uh, probably early on in my childhood, I can probably remember more to a call to salvation. But as I grew up into my teen years in that, I seen more of a transition to more responses to the message as opposed to salvation. And those were the ones that I look fondly on more than anything. Mm. Uh, as more, it was more of a response. Now, there's, there were no doubt sometimes I probably went up because my friends went up or some other things. But there were majority of times I would say when it was a response to the actual message that was preached and those are the times that I, I look back on because those were beneficial it allowed me uh, as a leader you know to pray with students who had gone up but also as a student when I was a student to allow my leaders my pastors there was an opportunity for them to pray over me pray into my life mm-hmm. and those were really beneficial to me I think it's important also that uh that the decision itself not be seen as you know the end all and be all of what's being done here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's great from uh, me as an elder's perspective, for example, to know who is, for example, making a decision that, yes, I would actually like to follow Jesus now, not because I think that that decision itself helps anything. It means that I have some idea of what's going in, in their on in their heart, mm-hmm. so I can talk to them, pray for them, I can you know uh, put, point them to good mentorship, I can figure out where they are, uh, where they're functioning in the church, that kind of thing. I, I mean, it's a great diagnostic tool, mm-hmm. but it uh, again, terrible causal tool. Yeah, so uh, it, it it can be it can be useful. There is a use if, if it's done right. I mean, altar call. If 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 you do altar calls, it should never be that you your your people your congregation believes that that's how you get saved. That you have to go up front and you have to make a decision right then, or you have to say a certain prayer. It should never be a play on emotions, yeah. uh, where you're just playing <laughs> whether it's a synth or just as I am that poor song. Like we, <laughs> oh, it's a great song. And, and I love fair, the song. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a great <laughs> song. It is. Fantastic. Song. That's what I mean. That poor sign, but we're just throwing it right under the, under the bus. But uh, but you know, it's it's not that you're playing these songs to get people emotional. If you're going to do an altar call, let it be a response to, let it be in partnership with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Right. Yeah. Let it be a response to uh, allowing the Spirit to work more on a person's heart and have those things in place for follow up. Mm-hmm. That if people come forward, make note of who they are. Have your elders, or your leaders in place to pray, but not only pray, but to follow up with them and to draw them closer to the body of Christ, to connect them more to the local church. Mm-hmm. So, guys, should we do altar calls? Given our kind of front definition of altar calls, mm-hmm. no. Um, I'm going to say a qualified no. Um I mean, and, and, and like I, I have the most negative view of altar calls that's probably possible. <laughs> um, 
but because of the fact that you know because of the culture we live in and you know we do have a large uh, a large segment of negatively used altar calls i mm-hmm. think that it, here in newfoundland it would probably be a I, I i would have a lot of trouble with being able to say that we can do it well but that said i am i can see instances where it could actually be used wisely mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It's going to require an awful lot of thought. <laughs> yeah. So Steve's qualification also fits for mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm with with the guys. If if we base altar calls on the opening definition, then unequivocally no. They're not biblically grounded. They're based more on tradition uh, and ecclesiological practices, uh, particular to you know certain churches. But should we throw them out with the should we throw the right? baby out with the bathwater? That's right. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, unless there's certain caveats in place to with that follow up discipleship and yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you do do altar calls, we, we, we want to make sure that you do them right. Yeah. That they they exactly. are actually a tool in partnership with the Holy Spirit. What the work is doing, not to your own purposes, not to fill the seats or the you know mm-hmm. pews in your church. But there are other ways that God can work as well. Absolutely. There are other ways for opportunities for you to pray with your people. There are other ways for you to disciple your people. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the yeah. altar. And just for a real practical thing, too, like for those of us who are preachers or for anybody who might be teaching in, in a group or whatever, mm-hmm. like when we're saying, like, don't do altar, you can still say at the end of or throughout your sermon, you know, if you like, if you're feeling a, like God saying something to you or you, you need like prayer. Like come you can talk totally to offer it. Yeah. Like right? come talk to, I mean, we yeah, say it at Calvary absolutely. all the time, come talk to me or one of the elders after the service, but it doesn't have to be some public spectacle. Like you can still have that follow up. You can still have that time of prayer. You can mm-hmm. still have that time of, um, and it's great to encourage people to do that. And it doesn't yeah. have to be an altar call. It can be just a private, you know, yeah. or like a semi-private. And of course, the other thing too, is uh, we, we have to recognize as well that God converts people in all sorts of different places and, Amen. Mm-hmm. and things. I mean, I was converted by reading a Bible. I was converted over 56K dial-up modem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was converted. I didn't go to sleep under the pew one Sunday evening I heard the pastor preach. And many have been converted through altar calls. Absolutely. Right. God can use yeah. anything. But uh, we wouldn't want to forestall all of the other ways that people can be converted, mm-hmm. because you know, w- because we think you have to come forward at a, a at a meeting to be able to be say that you're really converted. Um, the, the again, the biblical response is repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just because God can use anything to save somebody, doesn't mean that we should just say, well, we can do anything. Right. There are proper things that we should do to be faithful and to. You know. And to be fair, I mean, again, going back to my whole point on Charles Finney being a, an arch heretic, which is honestly my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. Just because he was that, and I, I don't know, maybe he repented before he died. It just mean, it doesn't mean that all of the people who came to Saving Faith under his ministry were uh, untruly saved. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that all, all of the practices that he evidenced were uh, bad practices. It just means that the way you think things through, well, the way he thought them through was incorrect, and that we need to be a little bit more clear about the way we do them. About. Yeah. All right, guys. So that was a great conversation. If you're listening uh, and you want to hear more, you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can contact us through Mile One Mission. But 
if you have taken part in an altar call, you know, and, and you have a different views, let us know. We'll, we'll, we'd be happy to talk to you about it. But as well, we just want to make sure whatever we do, we do for Christ. We do unto Amen. the glory of God mm-hmm. and not to our own glory. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Look forward to many more. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.